break the chains of darkness. You'll break the chains of depression, shame, and negativity. And that we would uh, hear your voice this morning calling us up into a place that maybe we never believed we could live in. You see, the, the, the problem with Christianity is it can sound so sweet, but the experience can be so distant that the love of God and the peace of God and the joy of God can sound so cool. And you can read it in the Bible and it says, oh, well, it was different then, but for now, you don't understand. And so there's this divorce between then and now. And uh, it doesn't have to be that way at all. The reason for the, the stories in the Bible, the reason for the teaching out of the Bible is because this is the kind of handbook. This is what God really says to us. Anything in this book you can have. Anything that people have experienced in this book is for all time that is positive and from God. And so I want to look at a, a, a guy who's well known. His name is Paul, once known as Saul. Um, and he was on a missionary journey trying to get to Asia. And uh, I want to just go through, if you've got a Bible or you've got access, I want you to sort of turn to, to Acts around 15 and I just want to kind of uh, page through Paul's experience because I think sometimes we miss the, the small print. We miss the, the realities of these guys' lives, which is certainly not a cakewalk. It's not something that's easy. And I think sometimes we both get discouraged and we disqualify ourselves because either we think we have to be super spiritual or our expectations for how God works are super spiritual. And so we think we don't qualify or we think we're out of the loop or we think that nothing will ever happen to me. And all of, all of that is lies. There's also a subtle battle in the human heart for who wants to be in charge. And some people love to live in confusion because it means they stay in charge. We're just very, very interesting people. And some people, some the most passive, acquiescent people can be the most rebellious. They just do it incredibly politely. So there's an, you know, we're all part of this strange journey called life, and and so, in in Paul, for those just in case somebody doesn't know, Saul was a a, a passionate Jew. He was a young Jew. Uh, he was would have been in his early twenties probably when uh, Christianity began, and it wasn't even called Christianity. It was just a Jewish sect at that time, not even a Jewish sect, just these people who were Jews beginning to say the Messiah had come and Jesus was the Messiah. And they had had lots, relatively, if you look at the history over the, the 200 years before that, there were people who frequently stood up and said, I'm God. And there were people who made prophetic statements. So it wasn't unusual in the culture for there to be some crackpot proclaiming something. And so they had to deal with us a fair amount. And so Jesus was just another one until he started doing things and he started gathering a following and they started doing signs and wonders and people getting healed and then eventually he's crucified. And they think, well, that's the end of that because they had crucified others before him. And then in the resurrection and this, this beginning upsurge of people, I mean, there were 3,000 people at the temple when Peter six weeks later gave a, a talk, really, and baptized 3,000. Now, if you're on the temple stairs where I've been at these what they called mikvahs, that's the baptismal baths, where they would, the cleansing baths, that where, when they went into the temple, they would have to put on a white uh, coat and, and go through this temple bath. 
before they can go into the temple. So Peter used the, the mikveh, the, the temple baths, for baptism. And 3,000 people on those steps, you know, it's maybe one and a half times the width of this building, maybe twice, I mean this, this sanctuary. They would be noticed. And uh, they would remember Jesus in the temple, probably turning over the tables and saying, who the heck does he think he is? So things have been stirred up and, and I'm not sure we can imagine how deeply offensive Christianity was because it was cutting right across deep religious tradition. I mean, we have our traditions and we get all in a twist if our traditions or our thinking is challenged, don't we? There's an element of it and our traditions aren't really that deep in many ways. But this was very deep, and, 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 and particularly when you mix the spiritual, it becomes even more passionate and offensive and all the rest of it. And so this, these, these Christians were, were coming against 2,000 years of history of we're waiting for the Messiah, and suddenly they say the Messiah has come. And Paul and Gamaliel, under who, Saul and Gamaliel, under who he studied, um, couldn't get, they didn't get it. And so... They, they were genuinely saying that to, protect, to, to follow God means these guys are, are destroying something that we deeply believe in. So they genuinely, sincerely believed it, which is why I often say just because we sincerely believe something doesn't mean it's true. It just means we sincerely believe it. You can be sincerely wrong. And so Saul, with all passion in him and all the Judaism in him, went off to persecute the Christians, and he persecuted them big time. He oversaw the first death in Acts as Stephen dying. Stephen is a, uh, declaring who Jesus was. He, he gave a talk in public and, and Paul, Saul had him stoned to death. Basically gave a sin, kill him. So it wasn't polite, oh, we don't agree with you. They said, take him out. So you, you, know, you look at the, the, the Muslim sort of uh, extremists now and you go, it wasn't that different. And... Uh, Saul was right behind that until he went on the Damascus road and Jesus met him and he was on the ground and he said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he had a revelation of Jesus that nobody, I'm sure the Christians prayed, that those who followed Jesus, because they weren't called Christians yet, I'm sure they prayed for him, but I doubt if they expected anything. Because when he became a Christian, they were the first ones to go, I don't believe this. And it took a while. And then he came back into Jerusalem just after his conversion and started talking to them. And they, they sent him off to Tarsus for 14 years. He was in the, in, out of sight because there was stuff he had to learn and grow in. Sometimes we want it instant. Be encouraged. God's not worried about time. Sometimes it goes quick. Sometimes it goes slow. So, this Saul is now Paul and he's doing missionary journeys and he's teaching about Christianity. He's written half the New, he will write half the New Testament. He didn't know that. He was writing letters to churches that he had planted. He's uh, 20 years in at least, 25 years into his Christian faith. He's an interesting guy. He apparently wasn't very good looking, had a beak nose. He was apparently, you know, he wrote better than he spoke. And we've got one example of him speaking all night and a young guy, probably Grant's age, fell out the window asleep, bored to tears. And Saul went, Paul went down and actually prayed over him and he woke up and he sort of probably said, why did you wake me up? This was a way out of your talking. Now I've got to listen to you for the rest of the night. And so you have this passionate guy who's been passionately for 
Judaism then totally wrecked by a revelation of Jesus and then 14, 15 years uh, being prepared in, God, in his heart and his spirit and his mind to sort of recalibrate and he was incredibly intelligent. So what Paul was able to do was to take his whole Jewish history and in a sense pass it through the cross and then start in his writing eventually saying this is what it means. And so God was able to take someone who had been thoroughly schooled revolutionize his mind and then help him actually put it down so that generations to come would be able to actually understand it. A huge gift. But it took time to work through. So Paul, on his journeys, um, he, he was going to go through and plant churches. He went into synagogues and he spoke and he taught. And he was very eloquent, so he was listened to. And then he sort of showed them how Jesus was the fulfillment of all the Jewish scriptures and how he had... The Messiah who we've long awaited for had come. And with, Saul, with Paul's teaching, he also prayed over people. There were people healed in his ministry. It was, it was powerful. And so he planted these churches <coughs> all over the place. But what we want to look at this morning is the, the small print along the way. And when Paul, was, uh, Paul had... Uh, gone to the Gentiles and, and the Jewish people were struggling with this. They struggled with, because Peter had also gone to the Gentiles. They'd broken open the box of thinking, which was radical. I can't put into words how different it was. All I want to say to you and to me is, if God could do that with the Jews, I guess he can do it with you and me. In other words, break your mindsets, break your attitudes, break our attitudes, break our thinking, break the way that we, we work. Probably all of us have compartments that God says, I'm trying to break it. I want to break you out of that mindset. I want to break you out of that way of thinking. I want to break you out of limiting me in such a small way. And we are just like those Jewish people. We can get really offended. We can get terribly offended by God wouldn't do that because I'm not comfortable. God wouldn't do that because I don't understand it. God wouldn't do that and fill in the blank. And I just encourage you to expect, expect to be challenged in your walk with God. Expect to have to confess that I don't want to do it. Expect to have to confess I don't feel like it. Expect to have to confess, no, I'm not doing that. It's just part of the journey. So in, in Jerusalem, there's this council of disciples, basically, who are overseeing this growing movement that they probably don't even know what to call it. I guess they call it a church, but they're not sure what a church is maybe. They're still discovering all of this thing. They're kind of playing by ear, but they're slowly growing. They've seen people die. They've seen people um, change. They've seen people transform. They're nervous. They're nervous. They were nervous of Saul many years ago, but eventually Barnabas went and fetched him from Tarsus and said, we need this guy. And interestingly, you know, behind it, next to everybody, there needs to be somebody who's encouraging. It's just a principle. And so one of the things that I, where I want to start this morning is where, Saul, where Paul goes to Jerusalem to meet with the council in Jerusalem to say, this is what's happening. This is what I've seen as I've traveled. This is what I've seen. God is really touching the Gentiles. He's opening up this good news to everyone. It's not just the Jews. Peter says the same thing. He stands up in that council and he says, let's listen to this because this was my experience Let's not make it difficult for these new Christians by giving them lots of Jewish rules that they aren't actually meant to be part of. 
And they had to process it. They had to walk it through. And that's why I keep on saying here, we have to talk things through. You have to journey together. You have to wrestle with stuff. The biggest crime in many Christian fellowships is, you, in a sense, you pray too, not, too much and don't wrestle enough. Because praying is often saying, God, you do it. And he's saying, I'm not doing it. You've got to do it. I'm going to do it through you and among you. So talk to each other. Listen to each other. Wrestle with each other. Because that's how you're going to get into another place. And when you're wrestling with each other and you're talking to each other, it's going to challenge things inside you that are going to have to either be submitted to me or it's going to cause you to leave. And you're going to have a choice on that. But there's stuff that I want to do in you that's only going to happen as you actually relate to one another. It's just the way it works. Some people are way too spiritual. It's easy to see the issues. Just talk to each other and you'll see things rising and things falling. Everything about Jesus is interrelationship, interrelationship, interrelationship. So, Saul goes, Paul goes up uh, to Jerusalem and they go on the, they, they, he submits, in other words, to their leadership, which is important. And he goes up and he submits to their leadership. I'm now just going to start quickly. Because I... Uh, um, well, they're in 15. They're at the Council of Jerusalem. And, and I've just summarized what they did there. And they were basically commissions. Paul and Barnabas and Silas um, and Judas. This is, I'm, I'm in Acts 15, verse 23. They were basically commissioned to go out and to plant churches and carry on doing what they were doing. Paul had come back to Jerusalem to, to both assure them that he wasn't a wingnut and to also say, this is why, this is how, this is what we're doing. And they were saying, wrestling with it, because their Judaism was going, eh, no. But their Christian side was going, it has to be. And so they pushed forward with faith, and they encouraged one another to believe what possibly they didn't really understand at that time. And so they commissioned Paul and Silas to go off. And uh, they go off into... Uh, toward Antioch. Now, I just want to pick out a few verses on the way. When they get to, sometime uh, later, Paul said to Barnabas, I'm verse 36 of chapter 16. Let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord. See how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement, they parted company. Paul was a strong-willed guy and sometimes in that journey there were clashes. Barnabas was an encourager. He was not somebody who probably looked for conflict. And Paul said, Mark, you know, bailed out last time. I'm not taking him this time. Now you would say, well, how can Paul do that? He's the one who's saying you've got to love each other. And then he's got attitude with Mark. And Barnabas says, well, I'm not leaving Mark because he's important. So they split. Is that God's will? Who knows? What I'm just wanting to show you in the small prints is these guys had issues. They had to work things out. They disagreed at times. And so... Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus and Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. You see, God can use us in our incompleteness. God can use us when perfection is not there, which is all the time. And so they carried on and God actually said, we'll work this out along the way. And so they go on their journey. They were going to go... They wanted to get into Asia, but they couldn't get there. Now, Paul thinks he's going to Asia. Verse 
in chapter 16, am I in chapter, yes, I'm in chapter 16, verse 7, when they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them. So they passed by Mysia and went to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. So they go there. So you see, Paul thinks he's going this way, and then in this case, circumstances say, no, you can't get through the border, so they conclude we, God's wanting us to go this way. Sometimes God gives you a word of knowledge. Sometimes it's very clear. Sometimes other people help you. Sometimes circumstances, just it's a shut door. There's no magic formula for life with Jesus or with God. It's about openness and then if, trusting him to reveal himself one way or the other. And so that's what they did. These guys didn't wait around. Lord, we won't go another, word, another, another foot until you give us a word of knowledge of where to go. He just said, go. Go and trust me. And this is also a directive, obviously, for our lives. Get on with your life. Trust him. Move. Do something. And listen as you go. Trouble is often we don't want to hear the, what the listening is sometimes. But he's a good, good father. That's why we're saying it. So they go. And they end up in Philippi. And when they, verse 13, on the Sabbath we went outside the city gate to the river. And when they went down to the city gate to the river, they were looking for a place to pray. They met this woman who was a purple cloth merchant called Lydia. And uh, she, they entered into conversation and, and she was obviously ready for something because she just sort of said yes. And they baptized her and she became a Christian at Paul's teaching. And then she said, well, if you call me a Christian, come to my house. So they went and stayed there. And everything's going cool at this point. The, they had they'd wrestled with where they to go. They had sort of changed their plans. Uh, Paul had lost his temper a little bit with Barnabas. There had been a bit of strife. And they were going to the place of prayer in Philippi when they, they were going to teach and they were going to spend time there. And they'd done this for a few days when you have this account of Paul, of this girl with a, a, a prophetic spirit. In other words, she could tell truth, sort of truth, but it was for a demonic reason. And she kept shouting out behind them, these are the sons, these, what, was, what did she say? These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. And she kept this up for many days. Irritating. Irritating. I won't go any further than that in terms of all kinds of illustration. You know, it just doesn't stop. And Paul doesn't go, Silas, I think the Lord's saying something. I think we should minister to this woman. What it tells us truthfully is Paul got so ticked off, he turned around and said, in the name of Jesus, get out of there, I'm fed up with you. That's how he did ministry to her. And God honored it. He, in his irritation, it says... Uh, Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And that moment the Spirit left. Now there was a big problem here because that woman had earned a lot of money for the people who owned her. And the economic impact of that deliverance, it saved that woman and it led to huge consequences for, Saul, uh, for Paul and, and Silas. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They accused them of something and they were thrown in jail. The crowd joined in 
the attack against Paul and Silas, the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. Now you kind of read that and you carry on. These guys were stripped and beaten with rods. They were bleeding. This was not fun. This wasn't like a little feather. They were brutal beatings. They did this all the time. People who did this knew how to do it. They knew how to hurt people. And Paul and Silas were beaten because they had set this girl free. She was free, but they were now imprisoned. And it says that they were so... They were so they got, it raised such uh, animosity that they were thrown into the innermost, uh, innermost uh, room. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. The innermost room is probably a dark, damp place that stinks of, I want to say, and urine. It's not a romantic place. It's not a fun place. They're in stocks and they're in chains. They're bleeding. They're hurting. And the next verse is Paul and Silas are singing at midnight. Give me a break. Why? How many of us would be singing at midnight after going through that? Because this is where the, it, the rubber hits the road. And you know, I'm really wanting you to listen up to this because I think we live in a very privileged culture and we whine a lot and we don't even go into the inner cell. We just stub our toe. And this, the Western world is looking for courageous people who are different. And so my prayer for myself is I want that kind of courage and I want that kind of joy and I want that kind of commitment. Well, guess what? I'm not going to get that. It's a dangerous prayer because you're not going to get that without context. You cannot display courage if you're not in a place that demands courage. You cannot display faith if you're not in a place that shoots faith down. You cannot display that Jesus is your Lord if you're never challenged to call him Lord. So if we want to shine for him, we're going to be in darkness. And what Paul, and you, you know, you find this all over. You've, what Paul is saying is, nothing you do to me and to my body after 20 years of serving this Jesus is going to cause me to bow to you. And so they sang out loud. Who encouraged who? I don't know. Maybe Silas said, come on, Paul, let's sing. Paul might have said, no, I don't feel like it. Or Paul might have said, Silas, let's sing. And he said, Paul, I've heard you singing. I don't like it. Can't even hold a tune. I don't know, but the two of them together ended up singing and praying. And what do you think they prayed? Oh God, get us out of here. No, I think they were praying, God, you're good. You're a good, good father. Thank you that this place, we're so privileged to be here because we've actually been beaten up because we bore witness to you. And that makes us come alive. Sometimes in, in our culture there's a reality that when you've, and I'm saying this incredibly sensitively, but I think it's true that sometimes when people have got, been diagnosed with cancer or something that's going to kill them, it's, they come alive because this is how much I've got to do. They either go into despair or they come alive and say, I'm going to make use of every moment. And I think with Saul and with, in these guys, 
They had come so close to death. They had some, come so close to all kinds of belief systems that when they actually encountered Jesus, they came alive and they said, nothing touches what we have received. So we're not going to let it go. And they'd grown up in a culture where everything was challenged. So it's, it's really freeing when you've just tried to kill me for me to go, thank you, Jesus, bring it on. Here's a contemporary clip. It's meant to be based on a true story. It happens today. It happens around the world in different places. But this is one dramatic presentation of what happens in our world at this time. able to convince a friend to come to meetings. His name is Thomas, and he is your new brother in Christ. There are five of us now. God has blessed us.
us to stop meeting. He told us to stop talking about Jesus to people. Eric said no. small cell. That was nice of them. Only six days they held us, long enough for our wounds to heal, heal enough so it wouldn't look like torture. Eric very much. He was one of the fearless lovers of Christ. I pray for us all to have such courage. This will be my last words to you I write. It has been an honor serving our Lord together. Please, continue to pray for our brothers and sisters here, and all those they would meet. Do not be mad at them. They don't understand. It gives me joy to know that I will one day meet you all. God, there are 18 of us now. Many people are drawn here by John's journey home. Many knew of John and his warmness. They all wanted to learn about this God John would die for. Praise Him. He uses all things for good. Two of the women here are with child. One is going to name their son John. To answer your question, yes. 
the raid still happen but it only makes us stronger we will be It's good for us to be reminded that those are the experiences that this faith is built on. Many, 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 many times. One of the reasons we're praying and fasting is we're doing something because we, we have the privilege of creating an artificial situation. Like we can actually give up something because we have so much of it so that we can actually learn how to discipline ourselves in some way and also press in and say, God, I want to be more open to you. And that was like uh, Paul and Silas going through beatings. They didn't get shot. They ended up in prison and they're singing hymns at the end. They don't know if they're going to get killed in the morning. And the people, why Paul became a Christian was part of the reason we believe was because of the way Stephen died. Stephen was, in the first chapters of Acts, he was stoned to death and he said, Father, forgive them. In the midst of suffering, the, 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 the Christians died with incredible power and incredible peace and incredible joy. And no matter how hard your heart, there's a point where you look at it and go, what have you got? And what Paul and Silas were doing, in the midst of that, we read that they, they sang hymns and songs and the other prisoners listened. I irritate some of you because when we come to prayer, I say, speak out. Because I know that we need to speak out words. Because words change atmospheres. Words make a difference. Words build up your brothers and sisters. Words about God are powerful. And one of the things God is releasing in us is a, is a vocal church where we speak things out. Silence is a curse of the traditional church. It has no power. There's a place for silence, but often when we gather together, it's a place for declaration. And so Paul and Silas were singing out. And in their singing out, the prisoners heard. And then there was this great earthquake. And what happens then? You would think, if it was me, I would say, praise God, we sang songs, God was here, and he's opened up all the doors. Everybody out, Jesus is Lord. Paul is so in tune with God's spirit, he says, we're not the ones who are imprisoned. The jailer is the one who's imprisoned. God's put us in here He's redeemed my losing my temper with that girl. He's put us in here so that she can get, he can get free. So he says, hey, we're all here. Nobody's left. And the jailer cannot comprehend. Why? Because this wasn't your fault and we knew what would happen and God loves you. And after they finished talking and he's looked after his wounds, Paul, it's so counterintuitive, so different for the jailer he goes, I want to know this God that you are actually serving, singing to, and then you actually place me and my freedom above yours. So he and his household become Christians. They get baptized. And what Paul bears witness to in the midst of all of this is a sense of confidence in who God is, a sense of joy that is profound. There's a testimony of joy in Paul and Silas singing that we can access right now. You see, we can't follow Jesus just knowing it in our heads. 
We can only follow Jesus as he's alive in our hearts. That's what's going to make the difference in the circumstances of our lives. I suspect there are many of us who get frustrated because we don't have the reality of the words we speak. We get frustrated because someone like me is speaking them and you go, I wish that were true for me. Well, it becomes true as we say to Jesus, will you make it true in me? I want a joy. I'm contending over this fast for joy in this church. A joy that is not a frothy, superficial thing, because that's easy. Joy that comes through drugs and drink is not joy, it's counterfeit. Joy that I'm talking about is a deep joy, a deep confidence, a deep sense of God is faithful. And that joy is actually a living thing. It's got to be fed. And if you look at what Paul and Silas did, when they, after midnight, Paul and Silas were, pre- were singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. When they were singing hymns to God, they weren't singing hymns to God saying, thank you that we're in the circumstance, we love our circumstances. They were saying, thank you that you're a good God, that you're faithful, that you hold us in your hand, that you're able to do more than we can ask or imagine. They were singing to the character and the person of Jesus, not the circumstances. God never causes circumstances to teach us things. He always meets us in the midst of us, those circumstances. Are you with me? And there's a way of living where your circumstances stop being the thing that actually determine how you live. There's a way of living that your circumstances stop being what controls your life, controls your mood, controls everything. In the world without Jesus, that is absolutely what happens. So you spend all your life trying to control everything. And it doesn't work. It might work for a little bit. Then it's got to start all over again. It's a lot of work trying to control everybody around you and all your circumstances so you can be happy. It's much easier to access joy. And joy is God has me in his hand. Even if I am chains, this will pass. And so I believe God wants to just encourage us this morning to actually take hold of his joy. Now, if you don't believe me, that one of the... Um, The great things that Jesus spoke about in John 15, and I'm finishing with this, uh, which is always a lie. In John 15, 11, what does Jesus say? He says, um, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. That's the wrong verse, but it's a good verse anyway. Verse 11, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. 16.22 Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. 17.13 I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that, they may be, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. Jesus was really into joy. He was really into people knowing joy. And joy was not circumstantial. It was an experience of being held by a God who had already overcome the world. You won't get the joy unless you say, Jesus, I want that joy. Show me that joy. Give me that joy. One of the ways of getting that joy is to speak out the goodness of God. Your perception and my perception of who God is for you is the most important thing you could work out. So when you say to somebody, I believe in God, and they say to you, as they should, they say, tell me about this God that you believe in, 
what's he like, what you say right then will determine an amazing amount about how you engage with him. So tell me what he's like. And through Jesus, if you were asking me that now, I would say he's good, he's kind, he's gracious, he's always for me, not against me. When he walks into the room, I've told you this many times, and he sees me, he says, hey, good, John's here. It's my favorite. And he tells that to everybody. But when you start speaking it out aloud over yourself, because there was a time where I didn't have the time of day. My circumstances were so in the pit, and I accused God of causing half of it. Or at least, why couldn't you do something? So coming to this revelation was a seven-year journey through hell. But you have to speak it out. Because we speak out the negative. So you have to speak out the positive. I don't like my circumstances, but thank you, God, that you're good. Thank you that you're kind. Thank you that you love me. Thank you that you're present here for me now. And as a loving father, he says, I'm with you, and I'm actually going to equip you, and I'm going to empower you. And so you start saying, how are you going to encourage me here right now? And genuinely, the last thing I'm going to read to you is Philippians 4, because this is Paul writing to the Philippians later. And what does he say in verse 4? Chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in who Jesus is for you. Rejoice in who God is for you. If you don't know who he is for you, you're not going to rejoice. You're going to complain about the circumstance. You already know that God doesn't like you being in places that cause you pain. You already know that God doesn't delight in the brokenness in the world. You don't have to whine to him about that. You already know that. The chances are you've put yourself in there because of your rebellion anyway. But God loves you and adores you like a child, his favorite child. So you don't have to persuade him. You have to start engaging with him because in the engagement comes the encouragement. Does that make sense? It's counterintuitive. You've got to actually do it. You start speaking to your spirit and you start declaring, who is God? God is Lord. He is great. He is good. You come together with other believers because coming together is what builds you up. Stay apart, you'll be miserable. Should I pick out those that I'm talking to you right now? No, I won't. Of course not. No, you could stand up because you're masochists, but you know. If you isolate yourself, you will be miserable. You will take five times, as lo- five times longer to get your act together. Most of the things I say here you will not experience because you want to do it in private and then suddenly pop out of a box saying, here I am, all fixed. It's not going to happen. The only box you'll pop out is probably one that's your coffin and somebody dropped it. That's just original. Never thought of it before. <laughs> Sorry. So there's an element of you can have today the joy of the Lord because he is good, he's for you. And then you get the adventure of saying, how are we going to come through these circumstances? Until eventually you'll stand up here and say, you know, these circumstances used to crush me. Now they're just kind of circumstances. And I have the support of a family and I I know God's spirit and now I'm not held down by that. So let's stand and let's take on, uh, let's, let's declare joy. So, this is where you need to engage. 
Alright, this is actually really, 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 really serious. This is the whole point of the whole morning. Everything else is nothing compared to this moment right now. So just close your eyes and open your heart to the Lord. Some of you need to break your friendship with sorrow and despair. It's a friend that gives you great excuses to be dysfunctional. And you need to start saying, I don't want to be that friend anymore. That friend will whine because it's demonic. And in Jesus' name, I break over you, anyone, I break despair, discouragement, depression in the name of Jesus. Now, if you want to go to leave you, you have to renounce it. So in your spirit, I renounce whatever is negative in the name of Jesus. You know, Jesus is very powerful. He just needs to have you aligned with your will and his will. I speak against victim spirits. I speak against our mentalities that are ruled by our circumstances that say we believe in you, but then say, I won't be happy unless I've got this amount of money or this relationship or this or that or that. So, Father, we ask you to forgive us for our lack of faith. But we thank you that when you went to the cross, you took everything on yourself. And so we want to enter into the inheritance that is ours in Jesus. And Jesus prayed for us that our joy will be full. And so, Father, we ask you now to release joy in deep in our spirits, the joy that comes from knowing that we are deeply loved, the joy that comes from knowing that you are our Father, the joy that comes from knowing that you have purposes and plans for us, that you have released power in us by your Spirit to do much more than we can ask or imagine. And we're not going to excuse ourselves anymore and say, but it's not for me. Yes, it is for you. And Father, we want to be those who praise and worship and sing in the midst of all kinds of incompleteness. Not because we love that place, but because you are with us there and you change everything. So Jesus, we we want to press into you because where you give joy, you are joy. And we speak against the lies that cause us to take comfort in, in misery or depression or despair because it gives us a hiding place. We just pray that that hiding place will no longer be comfortable. And so receive joy. Receive joy from Jesus. It might be like an acorn, you know. You, you don't feel anything right now. Just plant it in your heart and say, Jesus, I'm going to nurture this. Every day I'm going to say thank you for the joy that is in me. And you might have to say that when nothing feels like joy. But you start speaking it over yourself. Thank you, Jesus, for the joy that you've placed in me because I am much loved by you. Thank you, Jesus, for the joy that you've placed in me because even though these circumstances are not my, my wish, you are present. Thank you, Jesus, that you are growing in me a quality and character of life that will actually prepare me to receive the answers I want you to bring right now. If you get answers to meet your needs, then you just become a needy receiver. In other people, I mean. So bless joy, Father. Bless joy in the name of Jesus. Bless joy. Now call up faith in us to anticipate more. God has much, much more for you. Much, much more for you. Much, much more for you. You haven't seen anything yet.
And Father, we just speak over this church as we fasting and praying that you would make us a naturally supernatural community. Let faith rise up in the name of Jesus. Let faith rise up. Joy rise up in the name of Jesus. So we're going to break bread together this morning. And we do this and we come up. The reason we come up and we don't hand it out is because God doesn't give us meal on wheels or legs. He says, get up and get it yourself. And there's an element of this symbolism in that, which just means we need to come up and receive what he has already done. And we receive from common receptacles because we are one body. And we come up and we say through this bread and this wine, there are symbols of Jesus that goes down 2,000 years where Christians gathering together have shared the blood and uh, body of Jesus as a reminder of the sacrifice he made. See, he's done everything to enable joy to be released by his spirit. Everything he gives us comes from the inside. It's not circumstantially based. It's spiritually based. Believing is seeing. Anything you want, you can ask for. He's already told us that. That you do not have because you do not ask. So, Father, we just continue to speak against unbelief where we kind of give up and just go, Oh, this will never change. Just break that in the name of Jesus. So on the night before he died, Jesus took bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, eat this. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took the cup. When he had given thanks, he gave it to them and said, this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink this in remembrance of me. So draw near if you desire to know Jesus, you know Jesus, you want to follow Jesus, you're welcome to share at this table. And as you do it, receive from God a gift of joy. Receive in the physical the things that are spiritual. And let him feed your spirits that we might become and increasingly be witness to an extraordinary mandate, an extraordinary reality of a God who releases joy in the midst of suffering and pain. So that the joy is what is seen, not the suffering. So Holy Spirit, do in us what we can never do ourselves. And let's be thankful and rejoice. Amen? Amen. Let's come together and receive.